Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 100 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we talked about a new social media service called Vine and how it might illustrate that constraints actually help creativity. This episode is our 100th show, and we're going to do something special to celebrate and pay homage to one of the shows we had in mind when we started this podcast. Tom, what's in our agenda for this episode? In this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we're going to be celebrating our 100th episode of the podcast, following the format of one of our favorite shows, and that's ESPN's Pardon the Interruption. As usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start using the second this podcast is over. But first, we're going to bring you our favorite legal technology topics, PTI style, with three segments, toss-up, what's the word, and odds makers. We're hopefully going to be moving fast, so please try to keep up. Dennis, you want to go ahead and start our first segment? Yeah, Tom, but I want to throw you a little bit off pace by giving you a long lead-in. Our first segment is called Toss-Up, where we each take different sides of an issue. We've gotten some feedback that we agree too much and that we should have more debate. I wasn't really sure about that until Tom and I hosted a Taste of Tech show dinner last week on the topic of the future of legal technology. Someone (laughs) asked me at one end of the table, so what is the future of legal technology? And I said, the mobile platform. They later asked Tom, who was at the other end of the table, the same question. Even though he hadn't heard my answer, he said, mobility. In toss-up, we're forcing ourselves to take opposing positions whether we agree with them or not. So let's play toss-up. Toss-up number one, Tom, iPads versus Android and other tablets. Well, Dennis, if you if you came into our Tablet Wars session at, uh, at Tech Show, you know that it, it, it was really no contest in, in, in a number of ways. iPad is really just the dominant platform. It's the dominant platform in terms of sales. It's the dominant platform in terms of stability in the number of apps that are out there. It's the, it's the, the, the tablet that people are turning to for both business, for legal. It's really the only choice for lawyers um, in terms of legal apps that are out there. If it hadn't been for a furious stuffing of the ballot box by Android users during our Tablet Wars session, uh, iPad would have won handily. I mean, I think that the the um, uh, LTRC Legal Technology Survey shows that over 88% of lawyers are still using um, both iOS, so either iPhones or iPads, uh, and that's with a, in a distant second, I think something like 8 to 10% are Android. So I think that battle is already, has already over that ship has sailed dennis it's ipad you know tom that's old news i mean android and the new microsoft surface are capturing a lot of attention a lot of buzz um and a couple of things happen here. They're new. They're different. It gets me out of the Apple world. Uh, don't have to to say I'm I'm beholden to Apple anymore. 
prices can be more uh, uh, cheaper there and uh, the great thing is it's an open platform so you don't have to worry about uh, whether Apple approves the apps or not 700,000 apps on the Android uh, Microsoft Surface creating a, a lot of interest at this if you and and when you talk about the ballot stuffing tom i think it shows that the the android people aren't you know bound by the same norms so the, this is the, <laughs> the, the the rebel choice so so apple is uh is kind of kind of old news excellent excellent try dennis all right let's go to toss up number two and that is apps versus software programs what side do you fall down on well, I have the software side and, and you know, and I did step into your session and the one thing I remember most was was the guy who was uh, taking the, uh, was showing the, the Microsoft tablet. And every time you would talk about apps, he would say, but I have Microsoft Office. And, and I, it started to crack me up every time he said it. But I think software is is the way to go, and it's, there's two different things. Apps, nice little helper option when you have so you need limited functionality. You just want to capture a few ideas or do some little things or just a little bit of uh, you know a small segment of of what you can do on the on the real program. But when it comes down to actually putting documents together, editing, track changes, all those sorts of things. Uh, you know, app is great for for recording time, but if you want to, you know, manage uh, uh, manage what you're doing with that time, put together bills, you know, print them out to send them. You need you need software. So I think uh, software is still still rules the computer world for now. And although there are a lot of apps, they just do a, they just help. They're just little helper items. Oh, I. <laughs> what's what's interesting about that argument is that uh, that 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 I think that you're right. If if I want to use full version of Microsoft Word, I've got to have a Surface tablet. I've got to have a laptop. I've got to be able to do that. But like you and I both said, and, and it, 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 as it becomes clear that we're not going to agree on everything here, um, one of the last times that we agreed when we said the mobile platform is the future. Right now, until some of these backwoods com companies like Adobe, like Microsoft, uh, uh, once they finally get their acts together and learn how to create a mobile version that is as powerful as the software version, then we can start having a conversation. But they won't fully embrace the mobile platform. They won't come in and say, uh, you know, you, you can look at the Surface and say, yep, I've got full version of Microsoft Office on it, but I've also got a heavier device. I'm also paying twice as much as I'm paying for most to the iPads, and let's not even talk about how much space the Windows operating system takes up on a Surface device. So I think, and, and the reason is, because it's got to run all those big, fat programs that are out there. You know, I don't need a program um, to, called Taxi Magic. I, you're right, it's for very discrete purposes. I think apps are best for those discrete purposes, but the fact of the matter is, is that until the big software developers can embrace the app world, and they still haven't done that, I think apps win. Toss up number three, the cloud versus local programs and storage. Tom, you're local on this one. Yeah, and 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 I think that I'm I choose to defend this position by 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 hedging here because what I choose to say is is that uh, rather than using 
publicly available clouds or commercially available clouds, I recommend local programs and storage that you can nevertheless share or create your own private cloud so that you have security. So my beef here and my and my con here is is against the publicly commercially available cloud for all the reasons that you hear about that uh, that uh, that that it's not secure that you never know what's going to happen to the companies that are out there that uh, it, just having your data out there uh, in, in in a place where you're having to keep confidential client information just isn't just isn't uh, the absolute safest thing where having your own available private personal storage area that you can access from anywhere so it's your own cloud but it has that security level that allows you to feel safe and safe and sure that you're able to get to it and no one else is able to get to it I really think that's the future so it's gonna be those local programs and storage that you nevertheless can access anywhere you happen to be well the Several people, actually more than several people, told me the big news in the exhibit hall at Tech Show was cloud, cloud, cloud. And especially in areas like practice management, um, the cloud just has so so many benefits these days. You know, uh, pricing, access it anywhere, anytime, uh, you know, backing up your data. There's so many things that you can do now, and you can hit it from, from multiple multiple devices so the cloud is something i really like and and when you and it bothers me a little bit people who over focus on local and doing things locally because if something goes they're worried about the cloud you know a cloud service being down for some limited amount of time um but i know that if you're a small firm solo especially sometimes in bigger firms if something goes wrong in that local network on your local machine you're out of commission for a lot longer than just an hour or two that you might be in a cloud service well, we have to agree to disagree on that one now. Let's go to toss-up number four. Dennis, the social media uh, aficionado here. LinkedIn versus Facebook for lawyers. You come down on the side of Facebook here. Yeah, I'm taking the side of Facebook on this one. I, I, uh, you know, I, I think LinkedIn is the safe choice, probably, you know, something that you maybe you have to have. But Facebook was where I think you can do some really interesting things. And and I've been talking to people about Facebook, getting a lot of questions about why lawyers would use Facebook. I just think it's a great platform, a lot of things that you can do out there. But one one argument that I, I've, or one observation I made that the people really seem to like is that with Facebook, because you're focusing on friends and family, you're able to make connections with that group. And a lot of times lawyers will be talking to their friends and family and the friends and family have forgotten that they're lawyers or exactly what they do or might even say, oh, somebody came to me asking for a lawyer and I forgot that's the type of thing that you do. So on Facebook, I think this gives you a way to create a presence, uh, let your friends and family know the things that you do in your practice, and then they actually become a potential referral source to you. So you can enjoy Facebook you know, for the, for the personal side of things, but as a way to reach out to people and remind them what it is that you do, I think you can get some business benefits from it. 
I really don't think it's even close this time. It has to be LinkedIn because you're right. I think that there are some business benefits that you can get from Facebook if you happen to practice certain types of consumer law or or certain types of law that, can, that, that, that the average person is going to hire a lawyer for. But if you work in the corporate world, if you represent corporate clients, Facebook is a wasteland for you. It's, it's a desert. Uh, LinkedIn is really where you want to be, not just because um, you have access to those potential clients, but really it's your online resume. I, I know a lot of lawyers who feel like they're not getting the value of LinkedIn, but I have to tell you, I don't spend a lot of time. I don't put a lot of time into LinkedIn and I still get contacted a lot. I still get people looking at my bio a lot just because it's out there. It's it's something that was never able, you're never able to do is to have that online resume that, uh, that, that your opposing counsel can look at, that somebody who might want to hire you can look at, that, uh, that anybody can take a look at so that it's out there available to anybody. And that's just something that you're not going to get in what I would consider to be that more closed ecosystem of Facebook. Toss up number five, word versus word perfect. Hey, I'm just kidding, <laughs> but it's surprising how many times lawyers still bring this topic up to us, even in 2013. Tom, let's go on to what's the word, our next segment. That's where we take a legal technology sentence and fill in our own words. As long as you don't make me take word perfect on that last one, I will move on to the next segment. So uh, our, first sed- our first sentence is... Dennis, in the battle between human document review and predictive coding, humans are blank. My, my word is toast. I just think that, I, you know, observing over the years what uh, f- lawyers reviewing massive amounts of documents um, and how much time it takes and how slowly that can go and how difficult that is to do versus the improving uh, methods that we have to search and to use this thing called predictive coding, which which you might explain a little bit more, Tom. I, I just think that... Um, Maybe maybe the the ship has left the dock on that one. That that really uh, the machines can can are starting to do this better than humans, and definitely that would be the trend over time. So my word is toast. Well, my word is that humans are adapting because they are learning that predictive coding is a valuable part of an e-discovery arsenal, but it is by no means the cure-all and and, and the panacea for all that ails in the e-discovery world. I think we discovered a long time ago that purely human manual review is deficient. Um, We've discovered that just using keyword searching does not get you uh, all the documents that you need, and that predictive coding has a lot to offer. Offer to be able to take a large set of information because it seems like our our sets of e-discovery are getting larger and larger all the time. To be able to take that large set of discovery and point a technology tool at it, um, at, a, at a small portion of it, make some conclusions about that small portion, and then apply it to that larger part, um, really offers some advantages. And, and that we're seeing now that courts not only are approving it when the parties are asking for it, but some courts are actually ordering it where. Um, uh, where the parties aren't even talking about it. And you're, you're seeing some folks talk about whether or not there's going to be an ethical obligation to use predictive coding in the future. And so I, 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 I sincerely don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. But I do think that what, what humans are doing are learning how to work with predictive coding. I think that we're finding that, that predictive coding has a place in the, in the electronic discovery reference model and in working with data, but it is not the, the be-all and the end-all and that you need to have sort of that mixture of the human and the computer to be able to uh, to, 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 to get good results with uh, with predictive coding.
Next sentence. Blogging for lawyers and law firms is now blank. My word is passe. It's now passe. You know, I keep looking at uh, uh, these blogs are out and I go, really? Uh, so what? Everybody has a blog now. I, I, I'm looking at in, in, in my list of blogs of the day, I've really fallen woefully behind in keeping track of all the blogs. There just are so many out there now. Uh, I think that there's a lot of people who still don't have blogs, but I, I, I find that everybody's got something that they're calling a blog that they attach to their website or that they have as a separate device. Uh, separate tool aside from their website. I won't say that these blogs are very good or of quality. I think that uh, some people have kind of drunk some Kool-Aid of a marketer and decided that they want to set something up that uh, that gets them good uh, good Google juice and good SEO and has people come into their website. Uh, I think that the, the number of quality blogs is is vastly outnumbered by the number of blogs that are just out there as, as link farms to be able to get it. But I really think I'm just sort of seeing that there are so many blogs out there now it's it's just it's uh it's not novel anymore it's not that interesting to me anymore i hate to say it but that's how i feel passe wow passe coming from uh, a longtime blogger like you tom that's 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 really something i i but i did notice that tonight i was i was reading uh what seems to be a debate of whether people lawyers should have their blog on their web page or not and i mean god tom it seems like we had that debate you know, seven, eight, nine years ago. This is weird to see it coming back. So passe might not be a, uh, a bad word, but my word is niche or Nietzsche or to go along with your passe, niche. <laughs> um, I, I think that the blogs make sense for certain people in certain certain ways. I think you need to be a writer. I think you need to be a regular writer. Enjoy doing that. Um, I just I, I just think it's one of many alternatives. I was listening to a podcast uh, earlier today about using SlideShare as a way to uh, to to market and get the word out about things that you do. And and I think for for some people that could be more effective than blogging. So I think there are many many media to use to get the word about out about what you're doing um, in in this whole broad area of social media. Blogs are one piece of that. I think they work for. For some people, um, not for others, but it's it's an older style and, and I think a very writerly style. It makes sense in, in certain areas, and so I, I say it's it's a it's a niche uh, is my word. All right, we'll move on to the next one. Uh, the number three, David Pogue's ABA Tech Show keynote left me blank. I say nostalgic. I mean, it was a it, it was a an interesting, uh, entertaining uh, keynote discussion of. I, I liked a number of things he did, but I felt nostalgic because it seemed like he was talking about some, you know, things that were happening a few few years ago, and and maybe he pitched it just right because the the reaction was overwhelmingly positive, ex- except for a few of us, I think, Tom. But it just sort of seemed like there there were ideas that had been discussed and out there for several years, so it. it made me nostalgic for the days when when some of those ideas were really current and and that's why my word is that his tech note key his tech show keynote left me time warped for the same exact reason because as I watched him talk I, uh, I I was entertained it was very funny he the audience really enjoyed it the audience was very entertained by what he said but but I was I think the, that entertaining let him get away with things like talking about web 2.0 and aren't we on about web 4 or 5.0 by now I think that web 2.0 is a couple years old and and he talked about Wikipedia as if it's something that's brand new and and when the audience uh, members of the audience knew 
knew about Snopes.com for uh, for internet for scams. Uh, he seemed surprised by that, and so I, I I really I enjoyed it. I think it's just the right level of entertainment for uh, for a keynote. Uh, but uh, I was I was time warped because there were a lot of things that you and I have talked about on this podcast for a number of years um, that were being that were being uh, uh, hailed as being sort of technology disruptors for the current time. Let's go to the, let's go to the, oops, it's your turn now. Sorry about that. Yeah, the next sentence is the average lawyer's passwords are still blank. Uh, I think this is the one where we both come up with not real words. Mine is going to be the average lawyer's passwords are still post-it noted. And, and the reason I say that is, is that I go around talking about the benefits of having a password manager like LastPass, like 1Password. Whatever you have, make sure that you use a password manager so that you don't have to remember that same one or two passwords that you keep for everything. You've got something that can fill it in. I've got uh, people who say, you know, it's just too hard to set that up. I don't want to have to worry about it. I really don't want to do it. It's just easier for me to remember one or two. And and I, no matter, and, and, and I think that leads to, 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 to what you're going to talk about. But I just think that, I, I just think that people are too lazy right now. They just don't want to, uh, to, 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 to take the time to, uh, to, to, to manage their passwords properly. Dennis, what's your word? Well, I'm not still not sure post-it noted is one word, but in fact, I have come up with one word, and it is child's play to break. Not one, one word. word. So, uh, you know, I, I think what uh, probably the best development in the, the area of passwords lately has been sites that at least rate your password as you create it as how strong it is, you know, whether it's red, yellow, or green. And I, I think that's helpful, but I still think people are doing way too simple of passwords, not using the password manager tools. And given what people are trying to protect, um, it's it's a little bit scary. Um, there, you know, the dictionary attacks uh, can get a lot of, of standard passwords and, and standard combinations that people do. There's some, some things you can do to really extend the number of characters that you do, but I think the password protection or management tools that you talked about, Tom, are, are really the way to go. All right, our last what's the word, and that is, here's the sentence. Lawyers facing technology choices have never been more blank. Dennis. I couldn't decide. I was going to use overwhelmed or paralyzed. Um, I, I think I'll go with overwhelmed because it, it just seems to me that when I talk to lawyers um, and sometimes even – you know, Tom, when you and I talk about what we're doing for ourselves, it just seems like the, there's so many choices out there. There's so much happening in in one sense that uh, you don't know exactly what to do. And you hear a lot of different things. Um, and it seems like a lot of technologies are sort of equally good. I mean, we talked about the different tablet platforms, cloud, all those sorts of things. There's benefits of all these things. And I, I just think it's becoming really difficult to choose. I just did a blog post today about how people have, you know, seem to be stopped buying new PCs because what they have is, is good enough. You know, Microsoft just extended the lifetime of Windows XP for another year. So I, I think that people just feel kind of overwhelmed by choices and, and maybe that leaves them paralyzed with uh, what they're going to do. I'm going to go in a different direction and say that lawyers facing technology choices have never been more lucky because there's a lot out there. They're just I, I, I sort of tend to they say that if lawyers are smart about learning about their technology, then they're going to realize that never before have there been so many choices to make their practices more efficient using technology. Um, yep, there's a lot of different 
technologies out there and there are a lot of different technology sources out there trying to teach people and, and let people know about it. But if you choose the right ones, if you choose one or two channels to pay attention to, you go to a conference like Tech Show every year where you can keep up with what the latest is and you make some smart decisions for those areas that you need, you'll find that the range of technology choices from you are really, really, really special and valuable. And, and I think that lawyers should feel lucky for that. And that's it for What's the Word, and I win in another Maleficent victory, which I think is my favorite word of the entire show. Uh, before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsor. Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack is going to talk to us about the role of security in cloud computing. Jack, what about security? Are there any ethical or security-related concerns that need to be addressed with cloud computing? We're starting to see the first ethics opinions come out on cloud computing, and the early proposed ethics opinions like that from the North Carolina State Bar indicate that there are no ethical issues relating to the use of cloud computing in a law firm, but that as with the use of any third-party provider, an appropriate amount of due diligence needs to be undertaken to verify that the provider you're using has implemented an adequate level of security and privacy precautions and is essentially taking due care with your confidential client data. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if you'd like to get more information on Clio, feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O.com. you like listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, you might also like the podcast, Law Technology Now on LegalTalkNetwork.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. Now it's time for Oddsmakers, where we predict and give the odds on some legal technology stories for the coming year. First time, the odds that a lawyer or law firm will be the subject of an embarrassing security breach. Well, the way you phrase that, I'm going to say 75%. That's my number because you use the word embarrassing. I think if you had just said odds that a lawyer or a law firm will be the subject of a security breach, I would say 100% because that's already happening. You know, our friends Sharon Nelson, John Simic, they are regularly reporting on law firm data breaches. They are becoming increasingly and shockingly uh, the target of, of security breaches. So really, it's only a matter of, of whether we actually learn about that security breach, which is really what would make it embarrassing uh, as far as I'm concerned. I think that law firms are a lot better at keeping the lid on things like this than the corporations who might have certain requirements under uh, breach disclosure rules. And so that's why I'm only willing to go as high as 75%. I'm going to bump it a little higher, Tom. I'm going to say 85%. I mean, I think you it, the the big issue is how you manage these things and then, then how they get covered. Um, I, you know, you mentioned Sharon and John and, and John in the presentation at tech show had like a whole room full of lawyers logging on to a, to a network that he had created to show how easily, you know, people could be duped and hacked. And, and that's with a very tech savvy group of, of lawyers. So, um, the concerns are, are really out there. And so I bump it a bit higher. I'm going with 85%. Very good. Next question. What are the odds that lawyers will sit out Windows 8 
and wait until Windows 9. Dennis. You know, Tom, as I mentioned, I saw that Microsoft bumped out, uh, you know, Windows XP's life for another year into 2014. A lot of people don't seem to be liking Windows 8. There's going to be, you know, definitely some concerns about the sales figures so far. So I, you know, there's a lot of, it's, it's stunning to me how many lawyers are on, on you know, back several versions of things. So I think the odds that lawyers, for the most part, uh, will sit out Windows 8 and wait for Windows 9, um, assuming there is a Windows 9, I, I think uh, I would go as high as 75%. Well, I, I think it depends also on what Windows 9 is going to be like. I mean, what, uh, what, what does that look like? Is it going to be easier or harder to use? I, I know a lot of lawyers who set out Windows Vista, and that's probably a good thing. Um, I, I, everything I've seen and heard, though, about Windows 8 has been pretty positive. I, I think that it's a good update. It's, it's certainly not a Windows Vista-like update, but the problem is, is it's clearly designed for the mobile platform. And if we were all working with touch screens, I suppose I would say that only 25% of lawyers are going to wait for Windows 9. But, but we're not. We're not uh, you know, uh, working with touch screens. We're working with regular thing, uh, regular screens, and, and a lot of the lawyers and non-lawyers I've talked to who are working with Windows 8 say it's really kind of confusing. It's pretty challenging to learn all the shortcuts and the locations of where things are that they used to be. They're not anymore in, in Windows 8. I just think there are enough c- complaints right now to scare most lawyers away, at least for now. And I'm actually picking the same number as you. I'm saying that there's a 75% chance that lawyers will sit out Windows 8 and wait until Windows 9. Next one. Odds that a lawyer's next computer will actually be a Mac. All right. This is coming from a PC, primarily a PC user. Um, And I'm thinking about this logically. Most lawyers who move to Mac have made that commitment to learning how to use a new technology, how to use a new computer. And, And even though they might be using Parallels or some other tool to work in a Windows environment, they basically are still going to need to get up to speed on using what is essentially new technology. And as you and I know, the vast majority of lawyers are not all that enthusiastic about learning a new technology. It's something that, that, that most lawyers tend not to want to do uh, as long as there's nothing drastically wrong with the old technology. You, wrote a, you just wrote a column about that. That's why I think that lawyers making a commitment to learning new technology and therefore moving to max will be low. I'm going to give it somewhere around 15%. Well, I think that this is one of these things where there's a, there's a range of things. I think uh, lawyers in big firms, I think it's pretty darn close to 0%. Um, you know, f- for office computer, I think lawyers on their next personal computer, I think could be fairly high, maybe in the, the you know, the 40 to 50% range. Um, and then in the sort of solo small firm space, I think, you know, maybe in the 20% range. So I, I think that would be, I, we don't have great numbers on how many lawyers are using Macs these days, but but I think in the 20 to 25% range on buying new ones is where I feel comfortable. And I think that's a, you know, a very substantial increase in the use of, of Macs by lawyers. All right, next one. Odds that Google will kill off another service that you really use. Well, Tom, I use Google. You know, I'm, I still am in denial about uh, Google Reader actually going away. Uh, As am I. Um, but uh, I'm using uh, one of the Google services called Google Bookmarks, and I just think there's a hundred percent 
the chance they're going to kill that one off. So I don't know that for other people and what they use in Google, the odds would be be quite as high. But um, it's I think it's sort of difficult to predict where Google's going. So on a lot of those services that you know we take for granted, if you say I don't know that many people using it, um, I think the odds go up there. So maybe across the board, maybe like a you know a sixty to 70% chance for that, you know, across the board on lawyers losing a Google service that they actually like to use? No, I think, I think that's a little low. I, I think this is the way of the online world now. I, there's no promises that the tools that you love and work with today will still be around five years from now or even a year from now. Companies like Google um, are always experimenting with new services. And for every service they kill off, they bring up one or two. They, ever since Google Reader got killed off, Google's brought up two new services that how long are those services going to stick around? They've really demonstrated a willingness to go through this spring cleaning every year. And so far, someone has lost a tool they really love to use every year that since they've started doing it. And this is not just about companies killing off their own tools. This is also about companies who who buy up technology and then kill it off. My absolute favorite file sharing tool a, a couple of years ago was called drop.io. I use it all the time. I thought it was the most convenient, intuitive file sharing tool out there until Facebook bought it. They killed it off and they've never offered a service that's even remotely like it. I just, I don't, I don't get it. I was, it really makes me mad. I have learned to live with it though just like I will learn to live without Google Reader and so I am resigned to the fact that there is Dennis a 100% chance that Google or someone else will kill off another service that I really use I just don't want to know what it's going to be and the last one and you know this is a question for me Tom odds that lawyers will <laughs> begin to use social media acronyms and emoticons on a regular basis you know, I think for me anyway, this question really asks how many lawyers will use social media so much that they will start to use the shorthand to work on it. And if you think about this a little more, just like you divided up the last question, I would divide this up too between maybe current generations of lawyers and, and younger generations. Current generation is, I, in my opinion, not going to start using acronyms and emoticons in large amounts anytime soon, if ever. I think the younger generations are used to typing in shorthand. They're probably already doing that to some extent. So newer lawyers are obviously going to be doing this on a, on a more frequent basis. I, I really would have liked it if your question had been, what are the chances that it's a good thing lawyers might start using acronyms and emoticons on a regular basis? I would uh, would have confidently answered 0% chance. As it is, I think that we're probably going to see, I'm going to say 20% of lawyers who use social media begin to use the shorthand on a more regular basis. So I've always had this idea that it'd be great that, and if you're working on a contract with the opposing counsel that you do the markup using emoticons, you know, like those shocked face, smiley face that you like it, you know, that's like an OMG when there's something you really don't like that they've done. Um, but I haven't got a lot of traction from <laughs> from other lawyers on on that approach. I, and actually, I don't even get a lot of laughs on that. But it's it's, <laughs> it's kind of interesting. But I was listening to a podcast, one of the Slate podcasts, where they were talking about the difference between the way men and women use uh, social media and, and the way that they say things. So women tend to do the thing where you you. You know, it's more of the acronyms where you uh, use a lot more caps and spread words out, give a sense of, of what you're saying. So, uh, and you use more exc exc 
exclamation points. What I find is I'm using a lot of more of these things myself, and I, I'm trying to to use to create a, a little sense of voice. And so I just tend to use hmm, you know, and, and type that out as a, when I'm thinking about something. So I, I think it's uh, I think it's really sort of an interesting thing. And as as lawyers use social media more, and and you see those norms, I think it's a way that uh, lawyers can kind of personalize themselves. So I think it's really a, kind of an interesting area to see where lawyers go. Um, I I think that people who use this stuff heavily, um, especially inside bigger organizations. I I think that you I, I don't think you're going to see the emoticons, you know, for uh, for marking up contracts. Don't get me wrong, but I think in other ways that that lawyers use social media and texting. I, I think maybe forty to fifty percent will will start to use some of these uh, social media conventions. And. Odds Makers is now over, and there are 100% odds that we will now head to our parting shots. And so now it's time for our parting shots. That one tip, website, or observation you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. Well, my parting shot is from ABA Tech Show. During 60 Sites in 60 Minutes, they mentioned a site called Audio Name, which helps people pronounce your name. And I am now firmly convinced that this website was made for me personally. Uh, in these days where um, sometimes you don't actually meet someone in person or talk to them in person until you, you show up at a conference that they've invited you to speak at or, or, or you, you, you show up at a meeting or something like that, you've, up until then, you've never actually spoken to them and you don't know how they're name is pronounced you only know what you see on their website or their blog audio name lets you record a my name is pronounced Tom Mile so that people can hear it and they can understand it and they will know how your name is pronounced um, I, I, I'm looking forward to using it and uh, it's it was like it was like the site was made just for me Dennis mine is is something called Shodan which is how I choose to pronounce it uh, which in, in a post in Money Magazine, uh, I guess, on the CNN site, uh, by David Goldman, was called the scariest search engine on the internet. And what it does is it searches the internet for uh, devices and other things that are connected to the internet. So you can find, say, like the uh, the street cams, uh, you know, unsecured networks, uh, other other interesting information of by using this this search engine and. Um, you know, I sometimes watch these shows where they're they're, you know, trying to find some street camera that will allow people to find things, and they pull up a bunch of them, especially on the police shows. And it, Shodan gives me the feeling that it's something um, that could do that sort of thing. It's an interesting to, thing to look at. I don't know how much I would use it, but it's I think it's good for lawyers to know because you can you can see what tools are now out there. Um, and how and think about how they might be used, uh, you know, for for good or for not so good. So we're out of time. Let's go to the big finish. Tom, what's your best takeaway from ABA Tech Show 2013? I have to say it's audio note. It's my parting shot, and it's still my best takeaway from Tech Show. I it's a tool I will start to use immediately. Dennis, what's your next next technology purchase? I gotta admit, I was thinking about a new MacBook Air, but I think I'm gonna stick with this one for a while. And the the real one will be either the iPhone 5 or if I can hang on, maybe the next iPhone because my uh, two year commitment has has uh, come to an to an end. Tom, what's your next tech purchase? 
All right, we're both living in an Apple world because I think my next tech purchase is going to be probably whatever the new iPad or iPad mini that comes out, assuming that it's a, enough of an upgrade to, to justify a purchase. Dennis, what's your best social media tip right now? My best social media tip is is don't leave everything on the internet. Take what you're doing on social media on the internet and bring it out into the real world. Figure out ways to have lunch with people, get together with people, and to to develop the real world counterparts to what you're what you're doing inside social media. Tom, you're about to go on a trip. What's your best uh, tip for travelers? And my best tip is to invest in a Belkin Travel Surge Protector. It has three plugs, two USB ports, and you now have room to plug in all your stuff no matter where you are in an airport. People in airports will love you for it, too. Dennis, what about another 100 episodes? Well, I sure hope so. It's been fun. We, we, it's, we've been thrilled by all the people who come up to us who say they listen to the podcast. And as, as long as the audience likes it, um, let's do another 100. Well, so that wraps it up for this 100th edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. I want to say, Dennis, it has been my great honor broadcasting with you for uh, the past 100 episodes, and I look forward to the next 100 and on. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Information on how to get in touch with us, as well as links to all the topics we discussed today, are available on our show notes blog at tcamreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes at lawtechnologytoday.org or on the Legal Talk Network site. Our archives of previous podcasts are still available in iTunes and on the Legal Talk Network website. And if you have questions or suggestions for upcoming episode topics, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com or send us a tweet at tkmreport. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. Remember that you can always help our podcast by writing a review in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.